just wanted to mention something to you. Um, since we uh, only had a few of our bulletins actually uh, get distributed this morning. But at the uh, closing prayer this morning, um, I want someone to hurry right on out and get those kids out of children's Bible time and bring them back in. Uh, we're not going to start our video until the kids are actually in here and seated. So uh, who's going who's gonna to do that? Who's going to run back there and get to who's, who's the person? Okay, we got Sean right here. All right, Sean's going to be our guy to go back here and herd them out. We're going to wait for them to get out here. Then we're going to do our, our video uh, honoring our, uh, our veterans here at Sunshine. And uh, I just had a feeling about today. I, I kind of knew it was going to be a good day. And it, it is being a good day, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I can already see that. But God is good all the time. All right. We are having a good day today. All right. I'm going to tell on myself something this morning, okay? I know that that's dangerous sometimes. Back a long time ago, Serena and I were living in Nashville, Tennessee, in a trailer park. We'd bought our own mobile home, moved it in, and uh, that was our first experience with ever being in a, a, a trailer park and having landlords and all that kind of stuff, landlady. The landlady was not a very pleasant lady. Um, there are words I would use to describe her, capricious, vain, nosy. That would be the first three that came to my mind. And she kind of made up the rules as she went along. And um, we were living in the spot closest to her house, and we were the only spot that she could see from her bathroom window. And I know what happened. I know where that spot was empty now. When we went there, the spot was empty. And I thought, this is right up here at the front. What, what's this? And the deal was that that was the spot she kept her eye on all the time. And you were going to catch the uh, uh, scrutiny of, um, of the landlady there. She would watch you from the bathroom window to see what you were doing. Well, came a day when a puppy came to live in our, in our mobile home, and we thought that was okay because we had seen other dogs in the, in the park. And uh, the lady saw that we had a, a puppy. She came over a few days later and informed us, informed me. I was outside. She caught me at the trash barrels. You know, we, but she said, well, the, the puppy's got to go. And I said, uh, uh, she said, no dogs allowed, I told you at the beginning. Well, she never gave us any kind of a paper or anything like that, uh, and she might have said it, but I, I didn't remember it. And I said, you know, I don't remember that. I don't think you did tell us that we couldn't have a, a dog in our, it's our, our own trailer, you know. And uh, she assured me that she did. And so I say to her, well, I'm, I'm confused. Uh, I, I know there's a big dog in the trailer just about two or three doors down from us. Uh, and she said, well, that's a special arrangement. And I, and I said, well, could we make some kind of special arrangement? <laughs> no, couldn't be done. So I did something I've never done before or since. I looked at her and I told her, I don't like you. <laughs> you... And you have to understand how devastating that is for you to look somebody straight in the face 
and say, I don't like you. But uh, I told her that. And she got all flustered then. And she said, I thought you were a preacher. You have to love me. And I said, well, it's my day off. I didn't say that. I, I've thought about that. I wish I had. But uh, I, I thought you were a preacher. You have to love me. And I told her, I said, I do love you, but it's hard. <laughs> because I don't like you. Anyway, that, she huffed away. It was, uh, and I've never done that since, okay? But that didn't mean I wouldn't, so just watch yourself. <laughs> Half hour later, her husband shows up with a thirty-eight strapped on his hip. He knocked on the door. He gave me a letter telling me that we had to vacate the premises within 30 days. Well, that was our first experience in a trailer court. And I don't know, uh, I know you've had this experience, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever had someone you just couldn't stand? And uh, uh, Randy Harris called these people irritants. Uh, they just kind of make you crazy. They're difficult people. And you, 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 it seems like there's no good way to get along with them. But putting that aside, the landlady was right. I did have to love her. But I was struggling with her because I didn't like her. Jesus calls us to love people that we can't stand. He calls us to love difficult people. He calls us to love the irritants in our life. And so Jesus uh, talks about this in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. That was the scripture that was read for us a little while ago. I'd like to read it again. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his uh, Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you uh, greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is commanding us in this, uh, this passage right here to love our enemies, to love the difficult people in our lives, to love our irritants, the people that we can't stand. And ultimately, when Jesus commands us to love, I think, as you, many of you have already pointed this out to me, because you, you always take issue with this when I say it, but ultimately, I think Jesus is wanting us to develop feelings of love for that person. I mean, that's the goal. There, there's no commandment of the ten. Uh, I mean, you could deal with them on, on a surface level and say that, that's what you have to do. That's how you have to speak and all that. But actually, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, no, there's an inner dimension to every one of these commandments. It's not enough just to not kill somebody. If you hate them, that's a problem too. And that comes under the commandment, thou shalt not kill. But, but Jesus does that in, in, in the, uh, here in Matthew chapter 5. And, and I think, I think you, you folks are right. He's not just commanding us to uh, treat people with love and respect and to speak loving words. He wants us to actually have those feelings. But 
That could take a long time. And in the meantime, at the very least, we are obligated to do, I believe that God is commanding us to speak and to act in ways that are consistent with love. We may not be able to generate the feelings that we should, but we can at least put aside our feelings and commit ourselves to speak words of love and do the deeds of love for that person. If we do that, warm, fuzzy feelings of love may come, and I hope they do. But the starting point for us, regardless of our feelings, is to commit ourselves to the words of love and the actions of love, even for our enemies, our irritants, the difficult people in our lives, the people who we can't stand. And so I think this command that Jesus gives us here applies not just to our enemies, but everyone that uh, difficult people, people we can't stand. If Jesus wants us to love our enemies, he surely wants us to love our landlady. And, um, I, you know, I, I realize she had a good point. But loving difficult people is a tough job. But I think it's one of the most important things that you'll, you'll ever learn to do. Because difficult people are everywhere. You might be married to one. You might be raising one in your home. You may have one for your parent. You might have a neighbor or a teacher or a coach or a coworker who is a difficult person, a person that you just don't know how to deal with them. You might have a boss that's that way. You might, there might be a student in your room who's just a difficult person to deal with. There might be a, a patient on your floor that you're having to take care of, someone like that. Or, my goodness, it might even be a brother or sister in Christ you, you encounter here at church. Or you might even be, when you look in the mirror in the morning, that you're looking at a difficult person. And yet God commands this. He commands us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And my question is this, do we believe he has the power to help us to do that, to help us to get there? And I think yes. And not only does he have the power, but he also has a plan for loving that person we cannot stand, that difficult person, the irritant. That's a plan that uh, is, is laid out in Romans 12, 14 through 21. And I, eventually I'm going to get there, but not today. But we want to go back to that in, in a few weeks whenever uh, I get up here the next time. We'll work on a little bit more. Romans 12, 14 through 21. But today, all we're going to do, well, there's a key verse there. It's going to be a key verse for us, too. It's that one right there, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is the key verse in that passage, and it's a verse we're going to refer to many times today. But I, I want to just talk about some preliminary steps, some things that we need to know before we start. And that'll be, that'll be our lesson for today. People, first of all, people are not the enemy. Even difficult people are not the enemy. Um, in fact, they are probably our ministry, and we should view them in that way. But this is something that Serena said to me years ago, and I needed to hear it at the time. I was in charge of a little Christian school in Detroit, and um, <clears throat> I don't know what I was doing there, but I was there. And uh, I had a ladies' group. There was a ladies' group connected with the school that raised funds for special things for the school. So uh, that was fine. I was glad I had these ladies. They were very effective. They were better at raising funds than what uh, the school was because uh, they were just so avid to do this. But the problem was is their priorities for the school and mine were different. 
And that kind of created a problem here. They wanted to fund things that would enhance the school. That was what they were all about, things that would enhance what the kids were getting at the school. And I was hoping more for things that were more fundamental, like, uh, say, toilet paper and utility bills and a roof that didn't leak and desks and teacher salaries and things like that. Uh, those, those were the things I was, uh, when I was involved in fundraising, I was working toward those things. The sad fact was that the, the ladies uh, did some major fundraising events, and the net effect was to siphon off more and more funds into enhancement. Now, you know, it's good to enhance things, but you have to have the thing first. You know what I mean? Uh, and it kind of got to that point, and it was very frustrating to me. It did not matter to those ladies how desperate the school was. The ladies were very slow and very reluctant to give up anything toward the operation of the school. It was all about enhancement. So there was like a, almost like a competition that developed. I was very frustrated with them, and I, I got pretty vocal at home uh, several times, but one day Serena uh, looked at me and she said, just remember, Steve, they're not the enemy. And uh, they weren't. They were irritants. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't, they just had such, such tunnel vision, it was, it, it was creating a problem for me. But uh, the enemy is the devil, okay? Just to correctly de define who that is. Look at Ephesians 6 and verses uh, 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's the one that's working us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the enemy actually is not that ladies group or my brother and sister in Christ or uh, any person. The enemy, as I understand it right there, is actually, actually the devil. There's an interesting uh, little story that happens with uh, Jesus just after Peter has confessed him as being the Christ, the son of the living God. This is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. And uh, this is after Jesus, as I just said, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then the very next words are these, verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, this is, this is really confusing. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Now, he was talking to Peter, but, and he's looking right at Peter, and he says, Get behind me, Satan. And he understood that something was going on here, that Peter, Peter didn't even realize what he was doing, but he was being used. He was being used by Satan to whatever. Jesus wasn't happy with it. I, at least I, I can see that much. But Jesus is looking at and listening to Peter, but he says, get behind me, Satan. And he realized that it wasn't Peter who was the enemy, but Satan who was using him. 
If we're going to succeed in loving difficult people, we have to remember that they are not the enemy. Better that we would say they were our ministry. Satan uses difficult people to drag us down, to defeat us, to discourage us. And soon we find ourselves overcome with anger and frustration, and we think, I've got to do something about that person. But we're going against the express command of Jesus if we do that. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Satan is delighted when he can get us fighting in our families, in the church, at our work, in sports teams, in our marriage. But we don't have to be defeated by him. The apostle says, this is Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul is telling us there is that victory is possible. It can happen. It ought to happen. He's commanding us to make it happen, to do our best to make sure it happens. And he's telling us that victory is possible. It can happen. And we will be victorious if at least this much. If we remember, people are not the enemy. They are our ministry. Now, here's the second thing I want you to think about. We're, we're kind of getting, as we get into this, and that is you cannot avoid difficult people. They're everywhere. They pop up in places and times you just wouldn't expect, and sometimes it's, it's just a shock. And some of us think that difficult people should never show up in our lives and uh, never show up in, in our families or our churches or our schools or workplaces, but uh, we're just, I don't know why we think that. It's unrealistic. I want you to think about, uh, it's not reality. I want you to just look at two verses out of Romans chapter 3. It kind of tells you what, uh, what we, we, we all know this with our heads, but we don't always remember it or think about it or, or know it in our hearts. But it's Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everybody. And in Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. What Paul is telling us, this is who we are. We are sinners. We are not righteous, not even one of us. And every person that we meet is a sinner and can easily be our difficult person. It's not a big, big slide to go from being a sinner and being a difficult person, a person that you can't stand. So don't be surprised if some of them find you. Don't be surprised if some of them are really good at being difficult people. Rather than being surprised that difficult people are around, I think we need to learn to expect it and then be surprised when they don't show up. That's what, that's what ought to surprise us. But we can't be victorious if we're always surprised and then dismayed by difficult people, the fact that they've showed up and become a part of our life. Here's number three. I want you to think about this and remember this. Overcoming evil with good is not a passive command. Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, we go back. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a positive, uh, a positive command, a command that requires some kind of an action there. I mean, it's in there. There's two of them, actually. Don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. There's a command there, a positive command. It's not a passive thing. You cannot overcome evil with good by doing nothing. You over, overcome is a command to positive action, to go on the offensive. Now, there have been times I've told people who are under, under attack or in some kind of a conflict with their difficult person. I said, you know how fighters do this? I said, you don't really want to fight. You want to rest or cruise or whatever. And I said, you, know, you ever see them? They just kind of cover up like this for a while. 
and the guy can swing away, and he might get you a couple times in the ribs, but you just kind of keep your hands up here. He's banging all over you, and he's just wearing himself out. I said, you cover up. You don't fight. You cover up. And I said, uh, so that they can't really land a solid blow. And sometimes that's all you can do is cover up like a fighter in the ring. But if you can't do anything else, then try that for a starting place. But my point is the command is to overcome, not just cover up. It's more than covering up. Jesus said earlier on here in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you know, if someone comes along and smacks you, in the, you know, on the right cheek, you turn your left cheek around to him too. Well, that's not a passive response to that blow. It's a positive response to that blow. Passive would be running away and avoiding. But turning the other cheek requires us to stay in the ring and offer the other cheek. And we can be victorious if we realize there is something positive for us to do in order to overcome evil. That's number three. So here's number four, by way of just preliminary things. The weapons that we choose to fight with are, is, are going to matter. The weapons we choose for these conflicts that we have are going to matter. When we become involved in a conflict with a difficult person, we need to choose our weapons wisely. And there's two kinds of weapons mentioned in the Bible. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Well, there's two kinds of weapons mentioned there. There's a warfare, and you know, this can involve our difficult people, the people we really can't stand. But there's uh, two kinds of weapons mentioned there. There's fleshly or worldly weapons. And then there's these divine weapons that are powerful. They're divinely powerful. And these fleshly, worldly weapons are basically Satan's weapons, the weapons that he's proficient with. He's really good at this. And these divinely powerful weapons are God's choice for us. They've been empowered by God. They were forged by God. They're commanded of us by God. So here's the problem. Sometimes Christians want to use the fleshly weapons, the worldly weapons, to overcome evil. Now think about that. We want to use worldly weapons to overcome evil. That's not what, that's not what he said. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. The good weapon is the one that is divinely powerful, one that God has forged. It's human nature to want to respond in kind. Uh, you know, if someone uh, socks us in the jaw, we want to, you know, sock them back. Well, that's, that's responding with a worldly weapon. That's your fist. I remember watching uh, Dirty Harry back in, the, back in the day. And maybe some of you have never watched any of those Dirty Harry movies. I liked them. But uh, <laughs> Dirty Harry was a cop. And on duty, he had to fight criminals within the law. There were all these constraints on him. That would not allow him to just find the guy and blow him away. Couldn't do it. He'd get in trouble with his captain and probably end up in, in prison himself. But Harry had a thing he did after hours when it was nice and dark. He knew the areas of the town where certain people kind of hung out and wreaked havoc. And Harry just, uh, Dirty Harry, I got, what was it, 44 Magnum, 45 Magnum or something? It was a cannon. He just carried that thing along with him and kind of wishing, hoping that somebody would be stupid enough to come up and try and roll him, you know, uh, do something to him. Because when he did, 
go ahead, make my day. Or a man's got to know his limitations. I'll, I say that stuff to people all the time. Uh, my day off, okay? Um <laughs> uh, but what I'm saying is what happens there is uh, he's returning in kind. He's giving the criminal exactly what the criminal wanted to do to him, give him. Well, you cannot use worldly, fleshly weapons in this battle that I'm talking about here. First of all, I've got three reasons for saying that. Number one, worldly or fleshly weapons are not as powerful as divine weapons. Romans 12 and 21 it, 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 if, you, if you look very closely, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's telling you that evil can be overcome with the divine weapon. G- what God has prescribed here, evil can be overcome. And then back, back to 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. Divine weapons can destroy the fortresses of God. And he goes on in the next verses to say, for, for we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. Uh, the fortresses are those speculations and those things which uh, are raise themselves up above God and, and discount God. Those are the fortresses that he's talking about uh, destroying, the fortresses of Satan. What well, it says here, divine weapons can destroy those fortresses. So that's the first reason. Worldly, fleshly weapons are not as powerful as divine weapons. That's why we don't want to use them. Here's the second reason. When we use worldly, fleshly weapons, the evil weapon, we're actually creating more evil. Now, our objective, supposedly, is to overcome evil, not create more of it. And so you can understand why that's not the weapon to use. When you look at the armor for the soldier of Christ, this is in Ephesians chapter 6, and you come down to verse 15, there's one piece of armor there that uh, I think kind of the, the idea of it kind of fits in here. It says that we are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is a soldier. He's getting ready to go into battle. And he says, you have to, be, uh, you have, to have the boots of peace. You're going into war with the boots of peace on. Well, that sounds like a contradiction to me. You're going to go to war with the boots of peace? How does that work? And, and what I'm saying The battle that Paul is describing here is not one where we use the same kind of weapons that are being used against us. We use weapons that maybe other people wouldn't even think about or think we're a a contradiction. And so it's not a typical fight. It's not a typical battle at all. And it's how we fight that matters. It's the weapons that we choose that matter. He wants us to choose the right weapons. And here's the third reason why we don't want to use those weapons. If we choose worldly weapons, we will certainly be defeated. You cannot beat Satan at his own game with his own weapons. You can't do that. If you want to beat LeBron James at a game, you don't pick basketball as the one to challenge him on. Pick a game that he's never played before. Pick a game that he's no good at. Maybe croquet or uh, dominoes. Or something like that. Something he's never played. Something he doesn't care about. Now you, you got a chance. If you don't use his weapons. Don't use, play his game. But if you play his game, you don't, you're, you're done. It's over. 
He's going to beat you. I think the same thing applies with Satan. If you choose to use his weapons, you're going to beat Satan with his weapons. It ain't going to happen. It can't happen. Because you're nowhere, no way are we as good with his weapons as he is. So if we're going to overcome evil with good, we need to make sure the weapons that we choose are the right weapons. Now here's number five. I realize that we may be, uh, well, we need to realize that we may be somebody else's difficult person. Now in a lesson like this, I know how people uh, do, do this because I've done it. We sit back there and we listen and we think of someone else who, uh, who is giving us problems. They're, they're, they're the irritant. They're the one who frustrates us. They're the one that is my difficult person. And, you know, we, we sit there and we're thinking, boy, I sure hope that fill in the blank is here. I sure hope they're listening to this. If they're not, I'm going to go get a CD and give it to them. Okay. If that's what we're doing, then nothing much is going to happen here today. We all go home, nobody changes, nothing happens, nothing gets fixed. But if anything's going to happen here today, it will come only if each of us will at least consider the possibility that we are somebody else's difficult person. The most frustrating thing about difficult people is that they usually don't know that they are somebody else's difficult person. Or they know it but just won't admit it. And it could be one, either one of those two things. But if there are problems, if there's conflict, if there's something going on, it's never them. It's somebody else. And those folks, I hate to say it, are going to go through life leaving a path of pain and frustration and discouragement and think it's always somebody else's fault. But with them, it's always somebody else's fault. I'm going to make apologies to Jeff Foxworthy right here. But uh, you'll understand what I'm doing when I do it. You might be someone else's difficult person if. If you're still mad and upset today about things that happened one, two, three years ago. You may, might be someone else's difficult person if you expect people to apologize to you but it never occurs to you that you might need to make an apology yourself you might be someone else's difficult person if you find yourself getting offended by other people on a regular basis you might be someone else's difficult person if there are people you refuse to talk to because they said or did the wrong thing you might be someone else's difficult person if you're always the victim in your version of the story and you might be someone else's difficult person if you dismiss people who challenge your version of the story. And you might be someone else's difficult person if over time your list of friends keeps getting a little shorter and your list of enemies keeps getting a little longer. All right. That's enough for today. The next time we come back to this, we're going to dive into Romans 12, 14 through 21. There's seven, seven steps there. I think God gives us to know how to deal with difficult people, that person that we can't stand. And we're going to kind of branch out in some other areas too. But that's God's plan for loving people. You can't stand difficult people. 
And our key verse today was Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, maybe there's someone here this morning. Uh, you know, this is not like a, a sermon you preach to cause people to want to become a Christian. But it may be there's someone here that, uh, you know, this is your day. And we'd be really happy if, if you did just exactly that. Came before us, confessing your faith in Jesus, repenting of your sin, ready to be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You can become a Christian before you leave this place. And it would be the greatest decision you ever made. And maybe there's a Christian here today, too, that uh, you realize that maybe there's some things you need to get straightened out. Maybe you are somebody else, a difficult person, and you finally are figuring that out. And you want to say something about it. You want to let the church know that you know. And you're going to do something about it. If you need to respond this morning, we're going to stand and sing. And if you need to respond, please come to the front. There will be elders on either side. And just come to them and tell them what's going on.